Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Molson Coors Beverage Company third quarter fiscal year 2021 earnings conference call. You can find related slides on the investor relations page of the Molson Coors website. Our speakers today are Gavin Hattersley, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Tracy Jobert, Chief Financial Officer. With that, I'll hand it over to Greg Tirini, Vice President of FP&A and Investor Resolutions. Thank you, Charlie, and, and hello, everyone. Following prepared remarks today from Gavin and Tracy, we will take your questions. In an effort to address as many questions as possible, we will ask that you limit yourself to one question. If you have more than one question, we'll answer that first question first, and then we'll ask you to re-enter the queue for any additional follow-ups. If you have technical questions on the quarter, please pick them up with our IR team over the days and weeks that follow. Today's discussion includes forward-looking statements, and actual results or trends could differ materially from our forecast. For more information, please refer to the risk factors discussed in our most recent filings with the SEC. We assume no obligation to update forward-looking statements. Gap reconciliations for any non-U.S. gap measures are included in our news release. And also, unless otherwise indicated, all financial results the company discusses are versus the comparable prior year period and in U.S. dollars. With that, over to you, Gavin. Thanks, Craig, and thanks, everybody, for joining us here this morning. I'm going to change things up a bit here from our normal structure, and I'm going to share seven key headlines from our third quarter. Firstly, Coors Light is growing share of the total beer category in the United States. This is our biggest brand in our biggest market, a brand that many doubted could get back onto this trajectory, and it's growing share in the industry for the first time in more than five years. Two, globally, Molson Coors net sales revenue from its above premium portfolio has surpassed 25% of our brand volume net sales revenue on a trading 12-month basis for the first time since the revitalization plan was announced. Third, Molson Coors has grown share of the U.S. above premium segment for two straight quarters for the first time in over five years. Four, as we expand beyond beer, and with three months still left in the year, Molson Coors has sold nearly 2 million cases of non-alcohol beverages in the United States. Five, Molson Coors' total market share trend in Canada has improved for eight straight months, leading to national share growth in the third quarter. And the European business has bounced back, essentially reaching 2019 revenue levels. Six, Challenges in the global supply chain impacted our third quarter volumes. There, we are already seeing improvements in brewery output in October. We are back to shipping approximately 1 million barrels per week in the U.S. during the fourth quarter, and in aggregate, distributed inventories are starting to improve. And seventh, like for so many others, transportation availability and transportation costs are worse than they have been in years. So I want to start there, and then we'll work backward. Like we've discussed for the second quarter and like other CPG companies, inflation was again a challenge in Q3, specifically with respect to transportation. Fuel prices are up, truckers are in short supply around the world, and freight costs are up too. As Tracy highlighted in our second quarter earnings, we have long-term contracts with carriers and a robust hedging program, as well as meaningful cost savings programs to mitigate price fluctuations. But driver shortages at our existing carriers are forcing us to use the spot market and to pay spot market rates, which are significantly higher than they have been in many years. Right now, up to one in every four shipments are at these high spot rates. That level of inflation cannot be completely absorbed or avoided, and you're seeing the results in our COGS for the quarter. Beyond the hedging and cost savings, we are taking steps to reduce the impact, including shipping more beverages on rail. Also, we expect gross margin benefits as we continue to premiumize our portfolio under our revitalization plan and achieve improved efficiencies through our economy-skewed deprioritization and rationalization plans. 
But even with those steps, inflation will continue to be a pressure point for us and for just about every other company. Now, shipment trends in the third quarter were not what we wanted them to be. Some of that is related to the challenges of moving finished goods to distributors and also moving suppliers within our brewery network. Some of that is related to our own suppliers having difficulty getting us the materials we needed since they're facing the same supply chain challenges as everyone else in the world. But the good news is that this trend, as I've said, has already started turning. While August and September were difficult production months, the steps we have taken in the third quarter to expand our base of materials suppliers and improve our availability for most packaging materials have allowed us to increase shipments so far in the fourth quarter. We are once again shipping approximately 1 million barrels per week in the U.S., and that has helped us increase distributed inventories by approximately 20% over the past few weeks. So that is, of course, a measurement of our total network, and that is a trend we expect to build on. I also want to quickly address volume. Some of you may look at our North American volume trends with concern, but I want to remind you that this is predominantly the result of an intentional and strategic decision we made to deprioritize and eliminate a number of large a large number of lower margin, slower moving SKUs in the US that were mainly in the economy segment. The intention was to simplify and premiumize our portfolio, and that is exactly what is happening. So our volume is down, but our net sales revenue per hectoliter is up. And I can again tell you that we are on track to deliver on our full year key financial guidance for 2021. Look at what is happening in Canada. We have improved our national share trend for eight straight months, leading to total share growth in the third quarter. This is the best share trend performance we have seen in at least six years. As the on-premise reopens in Canada, our share is growing above 2019 levels, a big driver of our progress. Coors is growing share of the segment in Canada as well, with Miller Lite also growing approximately 30% in a quarter. Molson Ultra has seen strong year-to-date performance with volume growing mid-single digits, along with strong share gains. These are all very good signs for our business in Canada. Not to be outdone, our European business has bounced back strongly. In the UK, our on-trade net sales revenue has now reached 2019 levels, and margin has surpassed 2019 levels as the business continues to premiumize, which I'll touch on in more detail in a moment. As we look to the fourth quarter, we plan to keep this momentum up by stepping up our European marketing investments. Two years after shifting from a beer company to a beverage company, we have reached a significant milestone. For the first nine months of the year, we have sold nearly 2 million cases of non-alcohol beverages as we continue to drive towards our $1 billion revenue ambition for our emerging growth business by 2023. We have launched into categories where we think we can create scale offerings like water, energy, and coffee. First, of course, there's our partnership with Zoa, which has been making some serious noise since its launch just over six months ago. It's the number one new energy franchise in 2021, and it's already a top 20 energy drink brand. Zoa already has 31,000 buying outlets and over 115,000 points of distribution, with more coming online every day. There's a lot of upside for this brand. We have the distribution partnership for La Cologne's incredible lineup of ready-to-drink coffees, one of the fastest-growing spaces in the beverage industry. And thanks to our early success with distribution in large national retailers, we've also unlocked national distribution of La Cologne in grocery and mass channel stores for early 2022. Growing beyond the beer aisle is no longer an aspiration. We're doing it and we're driving scale. Molson Coors has grown share of the U.S. above premium segment for two straight quarters, for the first time in over five years. That mark is largely driven by the continued success of our U.S. hard seltzer portfolio, and this is another space I want to take a little more time to discuss. There's been a lot of noise over the past few months about hard seltzers in the U.S., a lot. Not all of it has been accurate, and much of it has been unproductive. Now, our hard sales is going to keep growing at 300% per year, but of course not. And we've been clear since last fall that we didn't expect them to do so. But in spite of the rosy forecast some had a year ago and the bleak forecast being thrown about today, there are some clear truths. 
Hard seltzers are here to stay. There are over 10% of beer category sales and growing. But the segment has matured and the easy growth is over. Moving forward, it is going to take distinctive, differentiated brands in order to succeed. And that's why we feel so confident about our portfolio. While so many of the mainstays are declining, Molson Coors has the fastest growing hard seltzer portfolio in the United States. Vizzy brand volumes grew 50% in the third quarter versus the prior year and passed yet another competitor to become the number four hard seltzer in the United States. Despite only being launched in 16 different markets in the U.S., Topo Chico hard seltzer occupies the number three slot as a new item in the general malt beverages category. The brand also garnered a 2.4% share of the U.S. market, according to IRI, and this success has led to the national expansion of the brand. But that is not the extent of our premiumization. Our joint venture with Yingling launched in Texas this quarter, and we are very pleased with the very early results. By the end of August, it was already available for purchase in 40,000 locations across the state. As the on-premise continues to strengthen, so have two of our biggest above-premium brands. Peroni is up double digits, gaining share in the category and outpacing all other European imports. Bloom Indulgent White is up high single digits, and this quarter we announced plans to build upon the success of Bloom and Lightstar, which our data shows is 96% incremental to the flagship Belgian White. Bloom and Lightscar continues to see double-digit growth year-to-date after finishing 2020 as the number one new beer in the United States. In 2022, we'll add more muscle to the Blue Moon family as we launch Lightscar Tropical Wheat. As I said in our second quarter earnings call, premiumization is here to stay at Molson Coors. All that growth in the U.S. is contributing to a significant premiumization of our entire global portfolio. So much so that as of the third quarter, the percentage of Molson Coors portfolio that is above premium has surpassed 25% of our brand volume net sales revenue on a trailing 12-month basis for the first time since the revitalization plan was announced. And that progress is being seen throughout the company. The early returns on our Canadian hard seltzer portfolio have exceeded expectations with both Vizzy and Coors seltzer generating strong market share. We will extend that streak when we introduce Topo Chico hard seltzer in Canada in 2022, which we announced this month. Six Pints, our Canadian craft business, is growing double digits despite on-premise restrictions. Combined with the growth of Middleart and Molson Ultra, this has continued to drive the premiumization of our business in Canada. In Western Europe, our new Mediterranean lager, Madri, has already doubled its distribution goal for the year now in approximately 5,500 on-premise outlets, with more coming in the fourth quarter. In Central Eastern Europe, new smooth Pilsner lager Praha has been performing above expectations across the markets, with presence in more than 15,000 outlets, supported with strong media campaigns, reaching over 13 million consumers. And in Latin America, Coors Light is growing in Puerto Rico for the first time in 15 years, where it sells at an above-premium price point. And speaking of Coors Light, that brings me to the final point I want to make this morning. In the face of many doubters, Coors Light is growing share of industry in the United States for the first time in more than five years. The brand's strong performance in the third quarter was aided by the continued success of our Made to Chill campaign and through increased marketing investment. Folks, we're making progress on the things that are within our control and driving measurable results that continue us on the path to delivering on our goal of sustainable, long-term, top and bottom line growth. We are two years into our revitalization plan, and I remain confident that we are on track to deliver our full year key financial guidance for 2021, while continuing to invest behind our brands. And I'm very optimistic about the future for Molson Coors. Tracy? Thank you, Gavin, and hello, everyone. As Gavin mentioned, we are again reaffirming our key financial annual guidance for 2021. We continue to make real progress executing our revitalization plan. We invested behind our business, driving premiumization of our portfolio of our brands and strengthening our core business while continuing to delever our balance sheet and to reinstate the dividends. But 
Like most consumer product companies, we face supply chain challenges and inflationary cost headwinds in the quarter, which had an impact on our quarterly results. Now let me take you through our quarterly results in more detail and provide an update on our outlook. Consolidated net sales revenue increased 1% in constant currency, delivering over 99% of third quarter 2019 levels, despite the on-premise continuing to operate below pre-pandemic levels. Consolidated financial volumes declined 3.9%, primarily due to lower brand volumes, which were down 3.6%, largely due to the economy segments including the economy skew deprioritization program. Top-line performance benefited from strong global net pricing, favorable brand mix levels in North America as we continue to premiumize our portfolio, double-digit revenue growth in Europe, and positive channel mix. Net sales per hectolitre on a brand volume basis increased 3.6% in constant currency, driven by the strong pricing growth coupled with positive brand and channel mix. Underlying COGS per hectolitre increased 8.9% on a constant currency basis, driven by cost inflation, including higher transportation and input costs, mixed impacts from premiumization, and volume deleverage. However, with our robust hedging and cost savings programs, we have been able to mitigate some of the inflationary pressure. Underlying MGNA in the quarter increased 3.5% on a constant currency basis due to higher marketing investment behind our core brands and innovations, as well as cycling targeted reductions to marketing spend in the prior year period due to the pandemic, which was largely offset by lower GNA expenses. As planned, we increased marketing investments in the quarter to levels above second quarter 2021 and third quarter 2019 levels ensuring strong commercial pressure behind our key innovations and core brands. As a result of these factors, underlying EBITDA decreased 10.9% on a constant currency basis. Our effective tax rate in the quarter was significantly impacted by a discrete tax item. You may recall in the second quarter of last year, following the issuance of certain U.S. tax regulations, we recognized the material discrete tax expense of $135 million. It was related to previously taken tax positions over several years. In the third quarter of this year, we reached a settlement with the tax authorities with regard to our tax positions impacted by those tax regulations. As a result of the settlement, we had a release of unrecognized tax benefit positions in the quarter that resulted in a P&L tax benefit of $68 million including a $49 million discrete tax benefit in the third quarter. Underlying free cash flow was $933 million for the first nine months of the year, a decrease in cash received of $227 million from the prior year period. This decrease was primarily driven by the repayment of taxes related to various government-sponsored deferral programs related to the pandemic. As a reminder, in 2020, working capital was positively impacted by over $200 million for benefits related to these government tax deferral programs. Capital expenditures paid was $363 million for the first nine months of the year as we continue to invest behind capability programs such as our previously announced Golden Brewery Modernization Project and our new Montreal Brewery expected to open by year-end. Capital expenditure levels were relatively consistent with the comparable period in the prior year. Now let's look at our results by business unit. In North America, the on-premise has not returned to pre-pandemic levels, but continues to improve on a sequential quarter basis. In the third quarter, the on-premise channel accounted for approximately 14% of our net sales revenue in the quarter, compared to approximately 12% in the second quarter of 2021, and 16% in the same period in 2019. In the US, the on-premise accounted for about 88% of 2019 net sales revenue in the quarter. In Canada, restrictions continue to ease throughout the quarter with the on-premise net sales rising to 80% of 2019 levels in the third quarter, up from about 25% in the second quarter. 
North American net sales revenue was down 2.1% in constant currency as net pricing growth and positive brand mix were more than offset by lower volumes. North America financial volumes decreased 4.8%, largely due to lower brand volumes of 3.8% driven by the U.S. In the U.S., domestic shipment volumes decreased 6.6%, trading brand volume declines of 5.2%, driven by unfavorable shipment timing and declines in the deprioritized economy segment. Economy was down double digits as we deprioritized and announced the rationalization of approximately 100 non-core SKUs, which were primarily in the economy segment. Conversely, our U.S. above premium portfolio was up high single digits. Canada brand volumes improved 0.5% in the quarter, and Latin American brand volumes continued their strong performance and experienced 9% growth, reflecting the easing of on-premise restrictions. Net sales per hectolitre on a brand volume basis increased 2.4% in constant currency with net pricing growth and favourable brand mix partially offset by unfavourable geographic mix given the growing licence volume in Latin America. US net sales per hectolitre increased 3.2% driven by net pricing growth and positive brand mix led by above premium innovation brands including Vizzy, Topa Chico Hard Salsa and Zoa. Net sales per hectolitre on a brand volume basis grew in Canada due to positive brand and channel mix, as well as net pricing increases, while Latin America also increased due to favourable sales mix. Underlying costs per hectolitre increased 7.3% driven by inflation, including higher transportation and packaging materials and brewery costs, volume deleverage and mixed impacts from premiumisation. Underlying MG&A decreased 1% as higher marketing investments were offset by lower GNA due to lower incentive compensation expense and the recognition of the Yingling Company joint venture equity income. We increased marketing investments behind our innovation brands and our iconic core brands, Coors Light and Miller Light, including an increase in local tactical spend as on-premise restrictions eased throughout the quarter. As planned, we increased U.S. marketing investment compared to not only the same period in 2020, but also versus 2019. North America underlying EBITDA decreased 14.3% in constant currency. Europe net sales revenue was up 14.7% in constant currency, with an 11% increase in net sales per hectolitre on a brand volume basis, driven by positive brand, channel, geographic and packaging mix, and positive net pricing. Top-line performance also benefited from the on-premise reopening in the UK on July the 19th. And of note, in the third quarter of 2020, the on-premise had fewer restrictions than in the second and fourth quarters of that year. The UK on-premise channel net sales revenue reached similar levels of pre-pandemic levels in the quarter. Europe financial volumes decreased 2% and brand volumes decreased 3%. The decline was primarily due to lower Central and Eastern European volumes, driven by increased on-premise restrictions related to the coronavirus and the disposal of our India business in the first quarter of 2021. This was partially offset by growth in the above premium brand volumes, which reached another record high portion of our Europe portfolio. Underlying EBITDA increased 2.7% in constant currency as revenue growth was partially offset by higher marketing investments. Turning to the balance sheet, as of September the 30th, 2021, we had lowered our net debt to underlying EBITDA ratio to 3.3 times and reduced our net debt to $6.6 billion, down from 3.5 times and $7.5 billion, respectively, as of December the 31st, 2020. On July the 15th, we announced that we had repaid in full the billion-dollar 2.1 senior notes that were maturing that day using a combination of commercial paper and cash on hand. We ended the third quarter with strong borrowing capacity with approximately $1.5 billion available capacity under our U.S. credit facility. Turning to our financial outlook, we are again reaffirming our 2021 key financial annual guidance originally provided on February 11, 2021. 
While we are certainly in a better place than we were a year ago, it bears reminding that uncertainty as it pertains to the coronavirus and its variants remains to varying degrees by market. If restrictions are reinstated in some of our larger markets, this could have a significant impact on our financial performance over the next few months. Now, I will provide some underlying expectations to provide some additional context for the balance of the year. We expect to deliver mid-single-digit net sales revenue growth for the full year on a constant currency basis. We continue to work to build inventories with wholesalers, which have been at low levels, and as Gavin mentioned, we are making progress. In the U.S., we expect on-premise trends to continue to improve as we lack restrictions in the prior year period. In Canada, we continue to see gradual on-premise reopenings varying by province, which should continue to provide positive channel mix. In Europe, the UK top line should strongly benefit from the prior year fourth quarter, given the on-premise was fully locked down for November and December of 2020, which are typically strong months given the holidays. Our guidance also anticipates continued strength in our above premium portfolio, particularly hard salsas, innovations, and imports. Also, we expect continued solid progress against our previously discussed emerging growth revenue goal of $1 billion in annual revenue by 2023, against which we continue to track ahead of plan driven by ZOA, La Talonne, and Latin America. We continue to anticipate underlying EBITDA to be roughly flat compared to 2020, as top-line growth is expected to be offset by continued cost inflationary headwinds, largely transportation and packaging materials, including aluminum and the Midwest Premium, and increased marketing investment to deliver against our revitalization plan. Under the revitalization plan, 2021 has been a year of investment for the company, and we intend to continue to increase marketing investment to build on the strength of our core brands and support successful innovations. As Gavin mentioned, we expect fourth quarter marketing investment to be higher than the fourth quarter of 2019 as we continue to ramp up supply and put commercial pressure to support our big bet brands in both North America and Europe. We continue to anticipate underlying depreciation and amortization of $800 million a net interest expense of $270 million plus or minus 5%. However, due solely to the discrete tax benefit in the third quarter, we have adjusted our effective tax rate range for 2021 only to 13% to 15% from 20% to 23% previously. Also, as a reminder, in 2020, our working capital benefited from the deferral of approximately $130 million in tax payments from various government-sponsored payment deferral programs related to the coronavirus pandemic. We currently anticipate the majority to be paid this year as they become due. Moving to capital allocation, we continue to prioritize investing in our business to drive top-line growth and efficiency, reducing debt, and returning cash to shareholders. First, we plan to continue to prudently invest in brewery modernization and production capacity and capabilities to support new innovations and growth initiatives, improve efficiencies, and advance towards our sustainability goals. Second, we have a strong desire to maintain and in time upgrade our investment grade rating. As such, we, con we expect to continue to improve our net debt position and reaffirm our target net debt to underlying EBITDA ratio to be approximately 3.25 times by the end of 2021 and below three times by the end of 2022. And third, on July the 15th, our Board of Directors determined to reinstate a quarterly dividend on our Class A and Class B common shares and declared a quarterly dividend of $0.34 cents per share payable on September the 17th. The board made the decision to reinstate the dividend at a level that they believe is sustainable and provides room for future increases as business performance improves. In closing, to be sure, we have faced challenges in the quarter, but are proud of our agility and the actions we have taken to manage through them. Through it all, we have continued to successfully execute against our revitalization plan with clear premiumization of our portfolio. And despite all the ups and downs throughout this year, we have reaffirmed our key financial annual guidance yet again. Like most consumer product companies, we face near-term challenges, but the fundamentals of our business remain strong. 
and we are confident we are on the right path towards long-term sustainable revenue and underlying EBITDA growth. So with that, we look forward to taking your questions. Operator? We will now begin the Q&A portion of the call. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press star followed by the number two. In consideration of others and to allow more of you to participate in the call, we ask that you limit yourself to questions. additional questions or follow-ups, please rejoin the queue. We will now pause to compile the Q&A roster. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Our first question comes from Lauren Limberman of Barclays. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Great. Thanks so much. Good morning. Um, I, I was hoping, sorry, Tracy you and, and Gavin both, you, you know, very clearly reiterated the um, expectation on EBITDA for the year. My only question is just it implies really significant growth in the fourth quarter. Um, and given the, the COGS per hectolier inflation, I think it was 9%, if I recall, this quarter. I know the, the, if you will, comp gets easier on cost in the fourth quarter year over year, and you've got some on-premise tailwinds with mix. But just anything else we should be aware of that kind of allows for the type of EBITDA growth you would need, particularly at Q4, in order to get to the year. And again, it just, given the cost environment, I just thought it would be helpful to get, to get more color on that. Thank you. Thanks, Lauren. Um, yeah, look, I mean, just my, uh, the first statement I'd say is that we wouldn't reiterate the guidance if we didn't believe that we would um, we would hit it. Um, maybe just a couple of contextual points to to help you here, right? I mean, the fourth quarter last year in Europe and, and Canada were, were very difficult to, uh, as a result of the almost total uh, lockdown of the of the on-premise, and that's not our expectation this year, and we haven't seen that in um, in October, which is obviously the the first month of the fourth quarter. Um, I did cover off in my opening remarks the challenges that we had um, with, um, with the sales to wholesalers shipments in the, in the, um, in the third quarter. And, uh, you know, that has improved meaningfully in, in October due to the actions which we took uh, to improve that. And as I said, our, our distributed inventory levels are, are approximately 20% higher um, than they were um, coming out of the out of the third quarter, which which is obviously very helpful uh, from that perspective as well. Our above premium uh, performance uh, continues to accelerate, whether that's brands like Bloomin' Dogs and White and Peroni and our shelter portfolio, as well as as well as our emerging um, growth portfolio. Um, so yeah, I think those are the contextual points I would I would give you. Um, on the flip side, I'll tell you at the same time we do intend to increase marketing spend. I know there's been some conversation about the fact that you know we, it's either or, and for us it's not. It's both and. And we did that in the third quarter. We increased our marketing spend above uh, 2019 levels and above obviously 2020, which was is an easier comp. And we um, we plan to spend more than 2019 levels in the fourth quarter as well behind. Um, um, the success that we're seeing in, in, in many of our brands. So hopefully that's helpful for you. It is. I mean, I think the, the my recollection was that some of the innovation, though, at least in the near term, is margin dilutive, right? There's a higher cost to do some of the above premium and, and emerging growth pieces of the, again, again in, in the near term. So I guess, is that incorrect? Or are we starting to cycle some of that already by the fourth quarter? Because maybe I'm thinking that maybe the biggest thing is the distributor inventory, right? Is the higher volume moving out the door and the leverage you're going to see on those shipments? 
is maybe the, the biggest piece of the equation. Well, certainly that is uh, that that is going to be um, positive for us in the fourth in the fourth quarter. Um, I'd, I'd reiterate again that our European and Canadian comps for Q4 are, are not terribly challenging, given the on-premise environment that we had um, last year. Um, and certainly, as we start to gain scale in some of our innovations, um, so that improves profitability. I mean, we have increased our Celsius share by more than uh, 50% since the beginning of the year, and our our two um, brands in that space are growing faster than any other major company in the in the third quarter, and um, you know we 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 plan to um, to accelerate that. Uh, you know our share on on Seltzer in the last read I saw was close to seven and a half percent, so mm-hmm. you know already even more than we saw at the end of end of Q3. So that's I think that kind of covers it all, Flora. Okay, all right. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Sure. Our next question is from Rob Otterstein of Evercore. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Great. Thank you very much. And, and Gavin, um, congratulations on uh, being so prescient in your, in your views on the, uh, on the seltzer category. Uh, along those lines, um, love to get your thoughts on how that category, how you, you know, really see that category developing, uh, as well as, how the whole overall RTD category is developing, and the kind of the uh, you know the interaction between those two, you know, if if you see them pretty much as the same thing or a little bit different, and how you know your views on how those are going to develop uh, impact your long-term strategy. Thank you. Thanks, Robert. Um, yeah, look, you're right. We have been saying for more than a year now that um, that, that Celsius couldn't grow at the, at the pace that they were growing. But I would say that it's still up double digits year to date. So I mean, the segment is significant, and it's and it's here to stay. Um, but it's important now, I think, in this new space in the Celsius category, is you need to drive strong brands with a with a clear point of difference. Um, and and that's why our two Seltzer brands grew more share than any other major brewer in the in the third quarter and why we feel so so good about those about those two brands. As as far as the overall RTD space is concerned, I mean obviously it's an emerging and, and fast growing uh, segment. Um, RTD sales already outpaced spirits and, and, and that gap is, is only going to widen in the in the future and you know, competing in this space is a natural fit for us, um, given that uh, you know we've got uh, you know hundreds of years of, ex- of experience in, 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 in alcoholic beverages and, and lots of experience in 12-ounce cans and, and bottles. So, you know, we we will continue uh, to compete in this category with uh, with, a, with brands like uh, Superbird and you know potential innovation um, that we're that we're looking at. Great, thank you very much. Thanks, Rob. The next question comes from Nadine Stewart of Bernstein. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Hi, Gavin and Tracy. Um, two related questions, if I may. So the first is um, industry press has reported that you will be significantly increasing your freight and fuel surcharge to distributors. So when does this increase become effective? Uh, and does this help you? Uh, offset the increase in transportation costs of so by how much, given that pressure we've seen on margins. And the second related question is, could you elaborate both on the magnitude and cadence of your pricing increase over the next 12 months? Thank you. Thanks, Nadine. Um, from a freight and fuel point of view, this is a program that we put in place with our distributors, gosh, um, 10 years ago, Tracy? Yeah, about 10 years ago. Um, and the objective was they're really there to, sh- to, to share the um, share the increase in freight and fuel and to, and to eliminate uh, volatility. And you know we've had years where um, the freight and fuel surcharge has gone down. For example, the last uh, the last two years. And um, and unfortunately, given the significant challenges that exist in the in the in the whole freight and fuel market, um, it, it it is going to go up um, meaningfully next year. And and yes, it is a it is a cost sharing uh, between ourselves um, and the and the distributors. So about about um, well, 50-50. So I mean, it's a it's a, it's a cost sharing. Uh, when do we finalise the number? We finalise it at the end of the year, and and um, and and, and it will apply to the to the whole of um, into the for the whole of of, of next year. 
As, as far as pricing is concerned, um, Nadine, look, that one's a tougher one for me, right? Because obviously we don't provide guidance on um, on price uh, going forward for, for obvious reasons. But, you know, we, we closely watch and evaluate our pricing. Um, we do it on a market-by-market -market basis. We do it uh, brand-by-brand -brand to see how it best fits with, with, with our brand strength and, 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 and so on. And obviously input costs play a, a role in those decisions. Um, we do have other levers um, which can can help offset inflationary pressures. Tracy mentioned, you know, one of them moving moving from um, um, truck to to rail. Uh, we've got our cost savings programs. We have a, a robust hedging program. Our overall uh, premiumisation um, strategies driving strong um, a positive mix um, in our NSR per per hectolitre. Um, I think this quarter was the fifth quarter that we've that we've grown um, that, notwithstanding the significant. Uh, that we had in this space from, 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 from Q3. And then, you know, we've got a variety of revenue management tools. We've spent, we've spent a long time, um, the, the last six years since, since um, you know, 2015, building revenue management uh, tool capability. And, uh, and um, I think we're, we're as, as well placed in that space as we've, as we've been in a long time. Thanks, Nadine. Great, thank you. The next question is from Steve Powers of Deutsche Bank. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Yes, hey, thank you. I actually wanted to go back um, to Lauren's question on, on the fourth quarter, if I could, um, just to better understand, because, um, well, I think, you know, I get the easier comparison with a year ago in parts of the business. Um, the guidance implies essentially a return to, as I do the math, about 95% of 2019 EBITDA in the quarter, um, which itself was, was I think, a multi-year high, um, and that's and that's you know that's in spite of the higher marketing, Gavin. You mentioned the supply chain inflation we've been talking about, um, the elective costs of, of some of these economy brands. So, you know, just if you, I know you've already addressed it once, but if there's anything you can you can kind of elaborate on a little bit further, just to give us just give us more confidence and, and build that bridge, not so much the 2019, but just sorry, 2020, but thinking back. To a, to a 2019 base when things were, were more normal because it it feels like a pretty big step up relative to the run rate uh, run rate year to date um, uh, and I guess you know under underneath that question is that that million barrels per week um, shipment velocity that you you called out for October is 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 the implication and the the emphasis on that um, to say that you expect to be able to maintain that for the duration of of the fourth quarter thank you. Thanks, Steve. Um, let me see if I can try and help you without repeating everything I just said. I mean, I would, I would again, though, say we wouldn't give you the guidance if we didn't believe we would, we would hit it. I don't. It's not just not how we how we operate. Um, shipments is obviously a, an, an important factor in this, um, and you know, getting back to a million barrels a week was an important milestone for us. That's but just to give you some dimension, it's kind of the level of shipments that we would have um, as we as we head into into summer. So. You know, we're doing a really nice job so far um, in October of rebuilding our distributor um, inventory uh, levels and, and inventory days, and, and already many of our, um, our of our SKUs are close to where we would we would like them uh, to be. Um, it's it's not a million barrels every single week because obviously you know over Thanksgiving we would we would we would shut the Thanksgiving day and you know there's Christmas day and so on. So it's not a it's not a, a, a you know a, a one size fits all for every single week. Um, but that's an important component. Um, you know, from an on-premise point of view, um, in, in, in both in all of, of US and, and, and Canada and, and, and Europe, I mean, this is performing, um, you know, better than uh, than it has in previous quarters. Um, from a from an NSR point of view, we're, you know, in the US we're. We're at approximately 85% of 2019 levels in, um, in 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 Q3, and in Canada, our on-premise restrictions have eased back a lot, and, and volumes are, are are back up to you know close to 80% of of 2019 levels. And and as I said, um, um, you know, the UK and and Central Eastern Europe, um, from an NSR point of view, is, is close to 100% of what it was in in 2019, and and uh, the fourth quarter last year was a very, very tough comparison for both Canada and from um, and and for um, for for Europe. 
you know, our, our, our NSR per hectolitre, when you compare it to 2019, is going to be meaningfully up because of the premiumisation efforts um, that, we've, that we've had. Yep. Okay. Okay. That that is helpful. Thank you. Thank you for the color. Thanks, Steve. The next question comes from Laurent Grandet of Guggenheim. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Yes. Good morning. Thanks uh, for the question. So, um, again, I'd like to come back to uh, to the Celsius comment, but probably more. I mean, focus on on what you are doing. Um, you will be launching. Uh, uh, Topo Chico, uh, nationally beginning of the year, um, expansion into Margarita, um, and some more for flavor expansion in VZ. So, you know, you used to give uh, the streets that kind of your your objective in terms of market share. Could you share uh, with us what your objective for next year and what you attend and to, to, to reach with those uh, those uh, nine extensions? And then uh, probably, if I, if I may, I mean, on on the, the beyond beer, uh, you mentioned about the million case, and it's starting to be meaningful. So how should we think about the economics uh, for you guys um, of those uh, brands I'm thinking more about, like Codom and Zoa? Thanks. Thanks, Lawrence. Um, look, on your Celsa question, um, we have made and we continue to make great progress against um, our share goals that we have for hard Celsa. We've... Um, We've grown, as I said earlier, our category share over 50% since the beginning of the year, and, and we continue to see uh, positive trends. As, as I said, um, you know, in the latest IRR read, we, we're almost at 7.5%, and that's despite limited distribution for Topo, Topo Chica, and despite the fact that we're cycling about a percentage point um, for Coors Seltzer um, now, that we, now that we're out of, uh, out of Coors Seltzer. Um, and our ambitions just don't stop at, at, at double-digit share, right? We've, we've got the national rollout of Topo Chico coming, um, as well as some really great innovation in both of our Celsius, um, some of which we've announced and, and some of which uh, we haven't. Um, in, and, you know, we already at 10 share in a number of, 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 of states and in a number of, of key retailers. Um, in Canada, we, we've almost hit our 10-share uh, goal already with uh, Busy and Coercelta, and we've got the same innovation and Topo Chico coming um, in the pipeline um, next year as well. So, you know, we're, we're, as I said, we're working hard and we're making real progress against, against um, our, our, self, uh, our goals, and we, and we love our differentiated brands that we've got in that, in that, in that space. Um, as far as Beyond Beer is concerned, it was 2 million cases, um, and that was just the non-ALK um, space, um, Lawrence. So we've got, you know, um, the, um, the Latin American business is growing very, very, uh, very, very well, um, despite some of the coronavirus challenges um, that, that they've got uh, down there, and that operates in the above premium uh, space. Um, within um, the non-ALK space, we haven't um, disclosed the economics of our agreement um, with, with, with both of those companies. But you can rest assured we wouldn't do it if it, was, if it wasn't profitable. And, and as, the, as the business expands, so we start getting uh, scale for, for, for brands like uh, Zoa and, and for, and for uh, La Colombe. Okay, thank you. That's helpful. Thanks. Thanks, Lauren. The next question is from Brian Spillane of Bank of America. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Hi. Thanks, operator. Good morning, Gavin and Tracy. Um, I just have, I guess, just a, a question around marketing, just, just two points that I'd like you to, to cover if you can. One is just with the step-up in marketing investments this year, are we now at a place where this is this is a good level, meaning the reinvestment has been has been made and, and, and this is a good run rate, or is there, um, is there room or opportunity to, to increase that marketing investment more beyond 21? And then just with, with Coors Light specifically, Gavin, can you talk about in the U.S., um, given the investments you're making there, just, just kind of where you stand in terms of, I guess, share of voice, you know, relative to maybe it's, it's some of its direct competitors? Because it, it appears that you're you know, you're, you're, you're gaining more impressions or you you're have more impressions, but just wanted to see if that was, that was accurate. Thanks, Brian. Um, good morning to you. Look, I mean, we obviously continue to believe uh, deeply in the power of, of, of investing behind our brands uh, to drive awareness and, 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 you know, increase consideration, track new consumers into, into our space. And, 
Um, we've aggressively shifted our media spend over the past uh, few years to, to channels where our, our, our consumers are. So, you know, that would be the digital space. And, you know, if you go back a few years, I spend in that area, I wouldn't say, we wouldn't use the word minimal, but it was it was not, not a lot. And, and you know, we, we spend more than half of our of our marketing spend in those in those um, channels um, at this point in time, um, you know we will continue to invest what we believe is the right amount of marketing behind our brands. And if you remember when we announced the revitalization plan, we said we wanted to spend more behind our core brands, and um, we Miller Lite and Coors Light, Coors Light in both um, uh, US and in Canada and and in Europe behind our brands like Carling and Ajusco um, and uh, Startup Prime and Prava and, and, and so on. And so we intend to do that. And we actually, we are seeing the benefits of that. I mean, we've, I've talked a lot about how we feel about, about, Coors, about Coors Life, and we're seeing very strong um, performance out of that brand, driven by the success of our, of our Made to, to Chill uh, program. So, yes, based on, on the strong performance, the confidence that we've got in the in the in the campaign and our, and and the brand, we we will continue to fuel um, their their momentum with um, with ongoing media uh, media support. Um, I think that was I think that was the questions that I covered with Tracy. Yeah, yeah. I was just just to, just to be clear in terms of the marketing, like the, the step up in marketing investment that's happened since you announced the revitalization plan. We're pretty close to. That stepped up level now. Now, whether you invest more or not may be a function of just where the business is going. But the that 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 initial sort of bump has is is now going to be in the base as we exit 21. Uh, but you know, hectically, hectically, it will be a little lower this year, right? Because it's it's still a little bit noisy this year, um, Brian. Um, given that you know, in the first part of the year, many of the things that we would sponsor, uh, we didn't. Um, because they weren't there, so you know uh, some of the, you know, particularly on the local marketing um, side of life with, with with fairs and festivals and some of the sporting events in the beginning part of the year weren't there. So, you know, I wouldn't say it's a totally uh, totally clean year, but we but we have stepped up our marketing spend um, uh, this year. We have spent it stepped it up in Q3, and we will step it up in in Q4 as well. Okay, thanks, Kevin. Sure. Our next question comes from Kevin Grundy of Jefferies. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Great. Thanks. Uh, morning, everyone. Um, Gavin, a bit of a longer-term question, building on some of the themes that you've talked about, but specifically how you're defining success in the U.S. over the next three to five years. So through the revitalization program, you're clearly doing a lot of the right things uh, and seeing tangible results, which is encouraging, emphasizing beyond beer. I think you said the above premium is now 25% of the portfolio, and that grew nicely in the quarter, which is great. The cross current, of course, is the leverage to economy, which continues to have demand headwinds. Light continues to face demand headwinds, although to Brian's question a moment ago, the market share trends with, with Coors Light have been encouraging. So you know, years ago, I think the company put a stake in the ground and indicated it could get back to flat volumes in the U.S. I think it's, uh, the decision was made to kind of subsequently walk back that target. But as we sit here today, what objective measures would you like investors to anchor to in terms of how you're defining success in the U.S. over the next three to five years? So thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Yes, you're bringing out a statement that I made, I think, in 2015 about being, uh, you know, flat in volume and, and growth. And obviously, our revitalization plan, our focus is on revenue, not necessarily volume. And, um, you know, uh, the, the, the quality of our, our, of our revenue and changing the shape of our portfolio is, is what is important to us now. So, you know, for me, what success uh, looks like over the, over the uh, short, medium and long term is that, we, that we're driving uh, sustainable top-line revenue growth, and uh, at the same time driving um, up, up our profits. So it's it's not an either-or for us. It's we it's a it's a both-and, and you know we're going to do that as as I've said by by, by focusing in on our core. So that would be Miller Lite and Coors Light, um, and we talked a bit about the success of of, of how we're doing with uh, Coors Light, and and uh, in particular in Canada and in the in the U.S. But also our core brands in our in our European markets. I mean, a real success story for me is what the team has done with Ojusko in um, in Croatia. You know, it was a brand that was in long-term decline, and they've turned that around and and have been growing it nicely behind our increased focus uh, behind behind core. Um, 
changing the shape of our portfolio at the above premium levels um, was our second priority. Um, and the third priority of Beyond Beer is, 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 is coupled with above premium, right? Because we're only going into above premium Beyond Beer um, uh, areas. So whether it's the success of our, of our, of our efforts in Celsius or new brands like Madri uh, and Praha in Europe or Blooming Belgian White and Lasca in the, in the United States or Zoro and Lachalome, um, I'd like to see the shape of our above premium portfolio to obviously be bigger than 25%. We've got an we've got an internal goal yet, which we haven't which we haven't sh- uh, shared um, ex- externally. Um, but obviously, we would like to see that um, that that grow to a to a higher level. So you know, at its at its at its highest level, top line, bottom line, sustainable growth, um, and. Um, and, and, and a changed uh, portfolio shape uh, defines success uh, for us, um, uh, Kevin. And you know, given everything that we've experienced over the last two years, I'm 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 very pleased with the with the progress that the team has has made overall against our, our, our revitalization plan. If you'd if you'd asked me if if I would be happy, we are where we are um, in 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 the sort of first. Months of the of the of the the gloom of the pandemic, I would have taken it in the heartbeat, and and uh, we're in a good place. Very good. Thanks for the comments, Gavin. Appreciate it. Good luck. Thanks, Kevin. The next question comes from Camille Kaljawala of Credit Suisse. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for taking the question. Um, Gavin, if I may ask you to maybe just simplify for myself and, and for investors, you kind of open talking about the success of a lot of these innovations. Can you maybe aggregate them and talk about how much they collectively contributed to your growth? I think you said two million cases for soft drinks, but you know maybe add Topo Chico, add Yingling, some of these other things in terms of how much they're contributing. Um, the other thing you kind of mentioned at the very beginning was uh, much of the uh, volume decline is linked to a uh, the, your your intentional decision to uh, deprioritize a series of subpremium products. Can you talk about how much of a drag that was if you were to add that all up, and that could help us get a, an understanding of how the underlying business is doing? Sure, Kyle. Well, let me try and answer that without actually giving you all about brand volumes because we don't do that. But let me start off by saying that you know the. Um, our share loss per IRR in the third quarter was down 90 basis points. 80 basis points of that was economy. So 90% of our volume losses, um, or reduction, should I say, is economy. Um, most of that, or large part of that, is very deliberate decisions that we've made to simplify the portfolio. So maybe that'll help just the starters. Uh, you know, 90% of the of, of, that for, of the that was for share, right? Not for volume. For volume share, not for absolute numbers. Just to make sure I heard that right. 90% of the volume share was linked it's to both, the economy. Right? It's okay. both. Um, 80 basis points of the 90 basis points in share we lost would have been economy, and 90% of mm-hmm. our of our US volume of our US volume losses was economy. So I think it's safe to say oh, we okay. can say most of it, right? Um, from yeah. a, from an individual uh, performance uh, uh, point of view, um, we, we're not going to break out every single volume um, element of our above premium portfolio, but we've got real pockets of strength and growth in our Latin American business, which is a, which is above above premium. Sometimes that that can be, um, you know, it depends whether it's export or, or license. Um, certainly, export is, is is performing particularly uh, well for us. Um, Zoa is, and our non-alk space is off a relatively low base. So, you know, a large chunk of that two million cases is all incremental, um, um, which, you know, still relatively small, but 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 growing uh, particularly strongly. Um, Comal, um, from a from a from a um, from a, um, a Yingling point of view, you know, from a third quarter point of view, it was really just in the market for a month, right? And and, and we don't obviously take all of that volume into into our business because we're in a joint venture with the with the Yingling family. But you know, our US above premium um, was up our single digits in 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 Q3, and so you know the strategy is coming together, Carmel. That's what I would tell you. Okay, great. Thank you. Cool. Our next question comes from Chris Carey of Wells Fargo Securities. Your line is open. Please go ahead. 
Hi, Gavin, Tracy, how are you? Um, thanks for the question. Um, I, you know, it, it's uh, following a, a recent line of questioning just around yeah, the economy skews and um, how you see the mix of the portfolio evolving over time and, you know, the focus on um, value over volume and, um, and how that can play out in the near term. I guess if you look at your portfolio today and you think about your aspirations for, you know, the go forward on, getting to a volume growth basis. Um, do you still see aspects of your portfolio which, you know, you, you, you potentially need to prune? I suppose there always are these opportunities, but maybe um, more more strategically. Um, and then, you know, if, if that is the case, do you see the, um, you know, the, the premiumization strategy over time as, as, as enough to offset some of these um, some of these decisions? And then it's, it's all sort of connected to the volume dynamic, but, you know, the, the share gains are, are well taken and some of your most important brands. But I guess the other side of that is just, you know, the categories have been under pressure, tough comps, and, you know, there are other aspects that are, that are in play there. Um, but, you know, do you, do you have any view on, on where you kind of see category growth going forward? I know it's not something that you can necessarily control, but, um, but that is an, an important dynamic here. So if, if I put all that together, there's this dynamic around. Um, you know, the portfolio, how you see it today, but if premiumization could be enough to offset future decisions and, you know, just uh, maybe your latest thoughts on the category, um, the categories which you play would be helpful. So thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Chris. Um, look, I mean, from, from our perspective, um, we think we've made the right move um, in, the, in, the, um, in the economy space to reduce complexity and really focus in on, on four key economy brands. Um, you know, we've, we've long said that we, that we believe all, all segments all matter to our consumers and, and the decisions we've made around our economy portfolio are, are, are not meant to change that, that view. So we still have, uh, you know, four, four key brands in that, four key, um, yeah, four key economy brands in that, in that space that we're focusing on, like Keystone Light, um, Miller High Life, um, Steel, uh, Steel Reserve, Alloy, and, and, and the Tiki Series, and Ice House. And uh, we will continue to focus on those, on those brands. And having reduced so much complexity um, uh, out of the economy portfolio, it's allowing both ourselves and our distributors to really hone in and, and focus on, on performing very well with, um, with, with those four uh, key uh, brands in the economy space. Uh, from an overall segment point of view, uh, you know we we believe that um, Celsius are here to stay. We we believe that there is there is growth to be had in in Celsius. We believe that there is strong growth for us in the beyond uh, beer uh, space. Um, uh, you know we, we we recognize the need to um, to offer products beyond beyond uh, traditional beer, and that's why we're putting so much. Uh, so much focus um, on that. We believe that innovation and great innovation around around beer and around Celsius um, will add value to both the category and ourselves over the over the next uh, few years. And that's why we're putting so much emphasis on a really tight and focused um, in, in, innovation, innovation uh, uh, portfolio. Um, remember, uh, Chris, that our focus is, no, is is not so much volumes, right? It's really about driving revenue and value, and that's that's what we're doing. So, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect our volumes to be to be uh, positive necessarily because of the actions that we've taken in the economy portfolio, um, but we think they're right. Uh, and then I think to address your other questions, we don't have any plans to uh, do any more big moves in our economy space. This, uh, we, 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 we went as deep as we believe is, is necessary, and um, now we're going to focus in on the, on the four key ones. So thanks, Chris. I think hey, we have thanks for all that. Time Appreciate for it. Sure. I think we have time for one more question. I'm getting that signal. The final question we have time for comes from Brett Cooper at Consumer Edge Research. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Thanks for taking the question. Um, just, Gavin, would love to get your perspective on the sustainability or durability of your efforts into into the flavored side of the world, whether that be seltzer, FMB, ready to drink spirits. Given, I, I think historically, the lack of success that the industry has had, and I know you won't get into talk about other people's brands, but maybe what you see either qualitatively or quantitatively with brands like uh, Avizi or Topo Chico relative to some of uh, the FMB products that you've had historically that haven't been able to retain their volume and sales that they initially logged. Thanks. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, look, I mean, I think I think making sure that we've got differentiated brands that the consumer actually um, wants um, is is a is 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 a big um, big factor for us, right? Because we do continue to see strong performance um, uh, from from Vizzi. There's lots of distribution runway available for it. It's um, holding firm as the as the number four brand in the in the space. Um, Topo Chico continues uh, to deliver. It's it's currently in just 16 markets, and you know the remains the, the fastest-turning brand in, in Texas, the third-fastest-turning brand uh, nationally. And, you know, we believe there's a very strong opportunity for um, Celsius to bring Latino drinkers into the space because they're relatively undershared. And we think that uh, that, um, that uh, Topo Chico plays really, really well into that space, uh, um, given the data that we, that we have. So I think the key for us is differentiation. We've been preaching it for a while now. Um, uh, Brett, we wouldn't have been as successful as we as we have been in the sales space if uh, if our brands weren't differentiated. If they were just a me too with what was there, and so uh, the, the the brands that we've brought are differentiated. They are fast moving, and we have real differentiated innovation coming behind uh, both of those brands um, in the in the in the in the new year. So we think there is uh, lots of upside for our portfolio. Um, in this in this space, and as I as I said, uh, we also believe that this is a big segment that is going to be here to stay, um, and uh, we intend to be a meaningful player in it. Thanks, Brett. Thank you. Well, thanks, thanks everybody for joining the call. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for your interest. And uh, if there are any follow-up questions, our investor relations team would be um, would be happy to take them. Thank you. Thank you. This concludes today's call. Thank you for joining. You may now disconnect your lines. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.